Welcome to HR Trends. I'm your host, Claire Morin. And today we're discussing the New York Federal Court that recently struck down parts of the Department of Labor's rule interpreting employee paid sick and extended FMLA leave components of the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. We have two national employment law experts with us, Jeff Novak of Littler Mendelssohn and Ellen McCann of Unum's Employment Law Group. They're going to discuss the court's decision, its implications for the future of FFCRA leave and what this means for employers. And as we have lawyers with us today, I am going to include a short disclaimer. This program is not intended to constitute legal advice. It's for general educational purposes only. If you do need legal advice on a particular situation, please contact your own attorney. And with that, Jeff, I'd love to start with you. Can you explain the context here? So what did New York do? Sure. Just as a, as a backdrop, uh, of course, we're familiar with the FFCRA, those listening in today. Uh, the statute itself was passed in mid-March, and the DOL, the Department of Labor, had to hastily put together regulations uh, to fill in the blanks of, of that law. And within two weeks, April 1st, the DOL had issued new regulations. Weeks later, the state of New York, on behalf of the people, uh, filed suit against the DOL claiming that the agency, uh, through its regulations, unlawfully denied FFCRA leave to otherwise eligible employees, and they exceeded their authority by issuing all of the regulations. It was a blanket uh, approach to the regulations in general. And so this New York court, federal court, uh, had to parse through and determine were these regulations valid or were they not? And in doing so, it, in, it invalidated several of the DOL regulations in, interpreting this new federal law. So what were the main parts of the law that were struck down? Well, certainly, um, in, in some respects, uh, the decision wasn't surprising. It struck down a couple of regulations with respect to a uh, healthcare provider, um, intermittent leave that we might have expected was going to happen anyway. Um, the, the court also spent a lot of time in its discussing this concept of availability of work. You know, one of the, the key conditions in taking not only FMLA leave, but also FFCRA leave, whether it's paid sick leave or paid FMLA leave, is that the employer actually have work available for the employee to perform. If the employee isn't scheduled to work, whether it's due to a furlough or a downturn in business, a business closure or, or some other reason, there's no work schedule from which to take leave. Uh, that's a basic prerequisite of not only FMLA, but FFCRA. Um, significant here is the court effectively struck down that requirement. Um, so it, on one hand, it seems reasonable that the DOL, through its FMLA regulations, through the FFCRA regulations, requires that the employee actually be working as a precondition to take that leave. Um, seems commonsensical enough. Uh, the court differed uh, on that point, and that's that's a pretty significant aspect of this of this decision. 
And when you say they differed, can you just explain how, how did they differ there? Well, the, the court, using a somewhat unusual analogy to a, to a snow day, the court said, well, there are days that the employee can't work because, for instance, there's a snow day. Um, and, and that ongoing period of leave, even though they might be on leave, that, that day still counts as FMLA leave. Why not apply that in the context of FFCRA. Um, I, I, I just don't agree with the analogy. Uh, I think it's it's off base and it kind of flies in the face of everything we know about when it comes to, to the FMLA, this concept that, again, that there actually be a schedule from which the employee takes leave. If, if the employee doesn't have a schedule, um, they can't take FMLA leave. And now I get it. it we're in we're in a really difficult period, and that's an understatement in the middle of this pandemic. There are people who have been furloughed, um, who have been laid off. There have been downturns in business that um, affect people's schedules. And, and so I get what the court is saying in principle. I get what the court is wanting to say, that it, it's out to protect um, the worker here that because of this pandemic, we have we have tons of people that are out of work. And, and I understand the court's um, uh, wish, desire to protect those employees, but the, the rule of law still has to stand. Uh, and and th this basic concept is that an employee needs to have a work schedule from which to take leave. So it, it leaves, Ellen, I, I welcome your thoughts on, on it from a, from a TPA perspective. No, I agree, Jeff. And I think the, the way they got there as well is in addition to the snow day example, but the way they looked at the words in the statute itself and said that even though the statute says the employee is unable to work or telework because of one of these qualifying reasons, that's not really what they meant. They meant that, it, yes, it can be because of this, but it can also be because of something else, too. So it's not just, we're not just reading the statute in the way I would read it as the plain reading of it is, you have to be unable to work because of one of the qualifying COVID-19 reasons. And so there has to be work available for you to do and you cannot do that work because of one of these qualifying reasons. And what the court said is, well, th that doesn't mean they're, they're foreclosing any other reason which I think to me is, is a stretch of the, the plain language of the statute, let alone the regulations, but the statute says it has to be because of one of these reasons. And so I just find it interesting that I think they jumped through a few hoops to get to a place where, to your point, Jeff, they, they are being more protective of the worker, but they are really, in my mind, going far afield of what the statutory language says, at least in my interpretation of it. And Jeff, you also mentioned uh, a few other provisions that that had that had been updated. Can you explain that? The the court also addressed the concept of intermittent leave. You know, Congress in the FFCRA didn't address intermittent leave at all. Uh, so the Department of Labor was responsible for filling in those gaps. And what the DOL did was issue regulations um, as to the use of intermittent leave. Um, under FFCRA, it, 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 uh, it required effectively two conditions. One is that the employer has to agree with intermittent leave. And secondly, that intermittent leave is limited to 
caring for a child whose school or childcare is closed. So it cut off intermittent leave to all of the other reasons for FFCRA leave. The federal court here said, okay, that, that's, that's fine that you cut it off to all of the, um, the public health reasons. Um, we don't want an employee coming back and forth from, to and from work when they're caring for someone who's tested positive for COVID. Understandable. That has to be a continuous period of leave. But the court took issue with this concept of um, the employer having to give permission to take intermittent leave when you are caring for your child. There are no public health issues here. Uh, the kid's school is closed. Their childcare is closed. And intermittent leave may very well need to be in play for these employees. And so what the court did here was struck down the requirement that the employer has to give permission for intermittent leave. So intermittent leave now is in play uh, for um, uh, caring for a child because of a school closure, because of a, a child care closure, um, just like we might see under the FMLA. Uh, the, the concept of intermittent leave. So that, that's a pretty significant development. Again, not surprising, um, uh, but, but a change nevertheless that, that employer, employers have to adapt to. The, you know, the, other, the other big um, issue here addressed by the court was the definition of healthcare provider. When the DOL issued the FFCRA regulations, they took a, a very broad approach to the definition of, of a healthcare provider. And the concept here is, is that whoever is considered a healthcare provider is exempt from leave, meaning that the employer can decide that they are not going to provide FFCRA leave to anyone who falls under, under the definition of a healthcare provider. The DOL in its regulations broadly defined what a healthcare provider is and, and that is not only um, a what we deem what we might consider a doctor, a physician, um, but beyond that, the DOL defined that that term to mean anyone who works at a healthcare provider, anyone who works with a healthcare healthcare provider, anyone who contracts with a healthcare provider. So think about that. It's it's virtually anyone and everyone that works at a doctor's office, in a hospital, and in the institution itself. And so uh, you could have people that have no connection to the provision of healthcare services that are um, not allowed to take FFCRA leave if their employer deems it so. So that, that's, uh, that, that, that was obviously a significant um, uh, regulation, uh, employer-friendly regulation, and the court here said, "Well, the, the DOL, you've given you've given no explanation for why you have crafted such a broad uh, definition to this regulation, uh, and uh, is effectively is requiring the DOL to go back and do it again." That's a really good point, Jeff. And in your article that you co-authored for Littler Mendelssohn, that we'll link to in the show description. Um, and everyone should go and read it. Um, you mentioned how the, dis uh, the district court had actually given an example. So say you have a university with a medical center attached 
uh, and you have an English professor, a librarian, and a cafeteria manager, um, and how they would be under that broad definition, you know, so-called healthcare providers under that final rule definition. Right, yeah. and, and, you know, the, the court picked up on that and said, you know, look, this is this is how broad your definition is, that the English professor uh, at a university who happens to be connected to a, a medical center or uh, some portion of the institution that provides healthcare services, um, he or she may very well be exempt from the FFCRA simply because they're teaching English at the same institution. Same holds true for the cafeteria worker, that they too might be exempt simply because they are part of this institution. That's how broad this definition is. And, 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 and all the more reason for the court to strike it down and, and send the DOL back to, uh, to the drafting stage. Right. And Ellen, I'd love your view then as somebody who's, you know, managing like a large organization like Unum's, um, uh, you know, all this leave, as well as consulting a huge number of employers across the country. What are your thoughts, maybe first on that definition of healthcare provider, if you have any thoughts there, and then on the intermittent leave topic? I wasn't surprised, and I don't think many people were surprised with the court's decision with regard to healthcare provider, because it was such a broad definition, and it didn't seem to meet the need they were trying to um, fill, and that was that you know critical healthcare providers who are actually providing healthcare to individuals were needed to respond to the pandemic. And so by having such a broad definition, it really had a lot of employees who weren't directly providing healthcare in a situation where they could not take leave if they had a, a COVID-related uh, covered reason. And so I, I wasn't surprised by it. I think it's the right decision. I think they came to the, to the right conclusion on the definition of healthcare provider. Yeah, what about intermittent leave? Any thoughts there? I think there, you know, intermittent leave, I think, was a little bit more interesting from my perspective. And there's a, there's some discussion in the rules around looking at whether the employee is actually coming into an office versus teleworking. And so I, I feel like that perhaps that some of the rules are uh, absolutely if an employee is coming into the office, we don't want employees who've been either quarantined or exposed to someone who is ill coming into an office. But from my perspective, you know, as an employee, why can't an employee who maybe has a break from taking care of a sick family member work from home intermittently while they're coming in? And but I, I understand that gets pretty complicated, and that you know ma makes for a more difficult decision for an employer. So I do think the the court got it right there. I just I wonder if in the age of a lot of people teleworking and working from home, should there be a different standard for someone who is coming into the office versus someone who is working from home? And should there be more flexibility for someone who's working from home if they're well enough to work? And the court also addressed documentation. Ellen, I wonder if you could give us a quick summary of what, what, what happened there. Sure. And really here, it's not about whether the employee is required to give documentation. The court didn't strike that down. But what the court struck down was the requirement that an employee provide documentation before they even take leave. And so that was something that the court said the statute did not allow the DOL to require employees to provide documentation of the need for leave before leave is taken. So the employee still has to provide the required documentation as outlined in the regulations, but it's just a timing issue. The employee doesn't have to provide it before they go out on leave. 
Great. And, and if you were to both then say fundamentally then as takeaways for the audience, what does this mean for employers? And Jeff, maybe starting with you and for example, does it apply everywhere? Just New York? Yeah, really good question, Claire. So you know, the, the decision is issue, was issued on August 3rd. Here we are two weeks later and, and we've heard crickets. <laughs> so um, it, it is tough to know where DOL is going to go with this decision. One thing we have heard is, interestingly enough, the, the Office of the Inspector General within the Department of Labor uh, issued a decision um, I shouldn't say a decision, issued some guidance uh, about a week back to the DOL itself saying, all right, we, we've got to address this New York court decision, especially in the area of this definition of healthcare provider. So at a minimum, internally with DOL, we know that there is concern about the definition of healthcare provider as interpreted by the regulations. But otherwise, we haven't heard anything. So the DOL has a couple of choices to make. It could go ahead and appeal this decision. And so it would then raise this issue on appeal to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, a federal appellate court, and ask the Second Circuit to decide uh, that the judge was wrong and, and reverse that decision. They could do so on an expedited basis. They could ask the court to expedite their decision so that employers and employees um, have uh, an understanding as to what the law is going forward. On the other hand, the DOL could decide that it needs to reissue new regulations um, uh, on, on, on these points. I and mean, one thing that it really can't do is to do nothing. Uh, it can't have a standard that applies only in New York and a standard that applies everywhere else. So it does raise the question, what is the scope of this decision? And the, the best experts differ on exactly how this applies across the country. I think there are arguments um, in favor of a nationwide application of this decision. And there are others that, that argue, no, this, is, this decision is limited to New York, the Southern District of New York, and it doesn't apply uh, elsewhere. And, and I'm not sure that we should debate that decision here. I don't think it's practical, but in, from a practical standpoint, what should employers do? Um, I, I, what I'm recommending to my clients is certainly that we take a closer look, number one, at healthcare providers. So those healthcare employers that are out there, you've got to think long and hard about what is, what is the scope of your exemption that you're applying to your workforce? Are you exempting everyone from leave? If so, that's risky. That's a really risky move in light of this court's decision, and especially in light of the Inspector General's uh, guidance that was issued this past week. Um, so I'm asking I'm asking my clients to take a second look at that. Certainly too, with, with respect to intermittent leave, uh, in light of the court's decision, how are we applying intermittent leave in the context of uh, caring for a child whose school or childcare is closed? Again, there too, um, encouraging my clients to take another, another look at that. The documentation issue isn't as big of a deal for my clients, um, so I don't think that's going to have a tremendous impact, but it's, it's important in terms of our administration to take a look, as Ellen pointed out, 
make sure that we are not requiring documentation prior to, <clears throat> excuse me, the employee taking leave. Where I'm encouraging clients to take a, uh, um, a, a stronger stance on is this concept of availability. I, I still think that the employee has to have a schedule from which to take leave. And if they don't have a schedule, they're certainly not entitled to FMLA leave and they shouldn't be entitled to FFCRA leave. So there where an employer wants to take on some risk, uh, I'm encouraging them to, to think about taking on that risk there uh, as to availability, requiring that the employee actually have a schedule from which to take leave. That's so helpful summary. Ellen, anything you would add? Top takeaways? No, I, I, as always, I agree with Jeff. He's he's my uh, FMLA hero and uh, someone <laughs> that I read religiously and, and listen to religiously. I, I do think, too, for employers deciding what the work availability requirement means to them, there are a lot of employers who have had to lay off or furlough quite a few employees. And so those employers already may be in a difficult financial position, and they now have another very difficult decision to make, and that is, do I now provide these same employees with up to two weeks of emergency paid sick leave or potentially up to 12 weeks of paid emergency FMLA? And those are the employers, I think, that really are going to have the most difficult decisions to make because they furloughed those employees in an attempt, hopefully, to get them back to work at some point when their financial situation turned around, now they're faced, and, and they had some comfort in the fact that they didn't want to terminate those employees, right? They were they were trying to keep them as employees, but in the short term, they could do what they needed to do financially. They're now faced with, do I have to now provide paid leave, which, you know, what do I do? And so my fear is that some employers may actually terminate now because they're fearful that they can't afford to give furloughed employees paid time off. And so I just hope that doesn't have that negative consequence that perhaps the, the court in New York wasn't anticipating when they issued their decision. That's such a good point, Ellen. Thank you to you and Jeff for coming on the show today and unpacking this court ruling for us. It's such a complex, difficult time. Um, and certainly everybody from employees to employers are trying to to weather the storm. Um, so thank you again. And just so everybody knows, um, Jeff is the author of that amazing blog, FMLA Insights. Recently, you might have seen if you are, um, uh, well, FMLA has been updated, the forms have been updated. Jeff has written a fantastic blog pointing out where employers should pay attention. We're going to link to it in our show notes. Just as an FYI, if you haven't read his blog, it's he somehow manages to make it hilariously funny while being extremely informative. And I've You're always heard I've always heard lawyers were good writers, but now I know they are. <laughs> so do go and read that as well as that very, very in-depth uh, piece on this New York federal court uh, update. So thank you both so much and please come back again. Thank you, Claire. Thanks, Claire. Unum is a registered trademark and marketing brand of Unum Group and its insuring subsidiaries.